Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. <laughs> Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another NFL episode of the Action Network Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs. Chris Rabon is on vacation, but still on the pod, as always, is Sean Corner. Sean is the Action Network Director of Predictive Analytics and one of the top in-season fantasy football rankers for the past half decade. And joining us is the Editor-in-Chief of FanDuel at Numberfire and the host of the Late Round Podcast and Living the Stream, JJ Zacharyson. JJ, thanks for joining us. How's it going? Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great to have you on the show to continue our position-by-position position multi-episode breakdown. I thought about having you on the show to talk about quarterbacks, but uh, really, I think there's no one else who could talk about tight ends the way that uh, you can with your living the stream type of perspective. But for quarterbacks, we had on Jeff Ratcliffe and Evan Silva. Those were two great episodes. Uh, everyone, be sure to check those out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. and a rate and review would be appreciated. In this episode, we're going to discuss with JJ his basic approach to the tight end position for projections and fantasy, and then do a full breakdown of the current tight end landscape in 2019 fantasy football drafts. JJ, kind of big picture, like what is your approach to the tight end position? I know that you've popularized the idea of streaming at the position. Uh, is that the way that you think you're going to approach the position this year? With streaming the tight end position, it's a lot more difficult than at quarterback. I think that's the first thing to throw out there. There's a lot more variance. Uh, there's not as many usable pieces out there on your waiver wire each week. There is a luck factor to a degree because obviously the good thing is that if a tight end finds the end zone, let's say, then all of a sudden he can be usable in that given week. But generally speaking, I do have a weight on tight end approach. And a lot of that has to do with if you look at historical average draft position data, and you look at that versus the amount of points scored by those players at their ADPs, there's not a lot of correlation. In fact, there's, there's an R squared of, of basically zero when you look at top 12 tight ends. So essentially what that tells us is that there's no real difference. And it's kind of, it's kind of odd to think this way. There's no real difference between what you're getting in those top 12 tight ends. Now, with that being said, it's really the middle round tight ends historically that have really dropped that correlation down. Because if you look at top six tight ends, there is a correlation, which is telling you that early round tight ends are giving you some sort of advantage over the rest of the position. But what we're seeing though, is that the tight end 11, the tight end 12, the you know George Kittle last season, the Jared Cooks of last season and so on. I mean, you can go even deeper than, than tight end 12. 
there are tight ends that are breaking out every year. And, and as a result of that, you know, if you are fortunate to find that tight end to have that tight end, then you're obviously not spending a lot of, of, of draft capital on that player. So the opportunity cost isn't as high. And so it's a little bit easier to take that on. So I do think that overall, though, the approach that I generally take is either get the elite guy and elite guy, maybe, uh, you know, this season, obviously, I think Kelsey's just kind of there and it makes a lot of sense or just wait and wait and wait and try to find that athletic breakout that that seems to happen every single season. Sean, what are your thoughts on that? Do you have a, a similar philosophy in terms of going for a high-end guy uh, or just waiting? Or are you fine with uh, taking someone in the middle tier? Well, you know, especially this year, tight ends, you know, the only position where I'm pretty much in line with the ADP. So I kind of just let the draft come to me. I'm not as brave as JJ. I, I do not want to be streaming tight end, uh, especially this year. So I do try to target, you know, one of the top three tight ends, but we can get into that later. But um, I think the the mid-tier one is a lot better than last year. You know, we had the AARP tiers, I called it, where we had like Jimmy Graham, Delaney Walker, and Greg Olson. And I just was like, okay, you have to get a top three tight end this year because you can't attack this mid tight end one tier. But this year, it's a lot deeper, I think. So regardless, you're going to end up with a decent tight end this year. Um, but I'm not fully punting it and planning on streaming. But but I think there there is still some credence to taking a top three tight end this year. JJ, when you're looking at the predictive factors uh, that will give you some sort of insight into how a tight end might do this year, what are the stats you're looking at? I think that it's more of a process in general for me overall. Um, that's not necessarily specific to tight ends. I mean, parts of it are specific to tight ends, but I'm very much someone who uses projections to not ne- not just be precise, but I enjoy the, the building of the projections to really see where that opportunity lies uh, because there's going to be a lot of variance in whatever you build with a projection. So like most things fantasy related, you want volume, you want the player to be talented and good because you want him to keep his job essentially. And, and you want him to be in a good offense. Like those are the three keys for anything fantasy related that, that you would want out of a player. But with tight ends, you know, I, I think the added element to that is I'm generally targeting the, the uber athletic types, especially in the later rounds. Those are generally the, the, the players that are going to break out, you're not going to find as many breakout guys who aren't, you know, a, of a, not the Gronk build because no one's like Gronk, but you want someone who has that, that type of athleticism. Building projections allows you to see the path to volume, the path to upside. And when you match that with hopefully a good offense um, and, and this athleticism, um, that really can help you spot one of those breakout guys you would be drafting later. So you just mentioned targeting athletic guys later in the draft. Who's the one tight end you've gotten the most of in the drafts you've done so far? You know, to Sean's point earlier about the the middle tier tight ends or like the second tier, if you will, or maybe the third, if you want to put Kelsey in his own. um, It is a different season, it feels like, at the tight end position than what we've seen historically. Because usually we're just seeing like the the Greg Olson types who we know are going to give you a floor, but not a ceiling in those middle rounds. This year's completely different. It's like the, the market's sort of corrected itself and it's brought OJ Howard there who I love, you know, it's brought Hunter Henry there and Evan Ingram. And there are, there are guys that I actually feel a lot more comfortable targeting there, but in that tier, I love OJ Howard. I'll just throw that out there. But if you want to look at the later round tight end uh, that I seem to be targeting a decent bit, it's, uh, it's Mike Kosicki. And it's really just because of the athleticism profile. The volume could be there, hypothetically, if, if things break his way. I mean, there's not a lot of competition for targets in Miami. You know, the downside is the offensive firepower in that offense because we know that it, it, could, it could get ugly down there in Miami. But, you know, it's, it's a, a second-year player who has that opportunity to, to really break free just given that, that profile that he had and even the draft capital spent to a degree coming out of school. 
All right. Well, when you mentioned uh, looking for a late round athletic guy, Gasicki was the guy who, who came to my mind. And so if I had to ask you, who is the tight end or group of tight ends you are looking to fade the most? Just shooting from the hip, I would imagine it's like this whole slew of dad runners, uh, the, the AARP tier that we have. I imagine those are the guys you are least likely to have on, on your rosters. But correct me if I'm wrong. So I think that I can go two different directions here. I, I definitely agree. Like the, the guys who, you know, like the Jimmy Grahams of the world, even the Greg Olsons to a degree, I can see a scenario where they hit value at their ADP very, very easily. But I don't think that they're going to be difference makers week to week. I don't think that it's going to matter that much, even though, you know, Jimmy Graham has positive touchdown regression coming. And Jimmy Graham was sixth at the tight end position last year in target share somehow. You know, they're just not players that I think have that elite of a ceiling. I, I think if I want to go a little bit bolder here, just, just for fun, just a little hot take. I think the, the guy that I would say that I'm fading would be Zachers. It's mostly because of cost here. Um, but the basic premise is that his ADP is really being anchored, I, I think, by what he did last season. When I think that the expectation for Zach Ertz entering 2019 should be a little bit more like his 2017 season. So I do think that Zach Ertz has a fine floor. I mean, I think that's really hard to, to argue otherwise. But it's really this opportunity cost that you take on when drafting Ertz. Um, but a lot went Ertz's way in 2018. Uh, you know, there was not a lot of competition for targets in that offense. When we saw Golden Tate join the Eagles last year, Zach Ertz saw his target share drop by about six percentage points. So it was a, it was a hit uh, whenever he saw more competition. Once Alshon Jeffrey also, remember, he started the season off banged up. Now you have D-Jacks coming to town, Dallas Goddard being another year into the league. Uh, Miles Sanders can catch passes out of the backfield. We don't know how they're going to use him exactly. Um, and then the Eagles themselves uh, threw almost 600 pass attempts last season when the year before that they had 564. And I think we would all agree that the Eagles are, are one of the best teams in football entering the season. So that win total hits, if they're a good team, they could be a little bit more run heavy. And if Zach Ertz's target share drops a little bit, you know, where it was compared to where it was last season, I think we would see his numbers more in line with what he did in 2017. And as a result of that, I just think his ADP is a little bit too high uh, if, if that's the expectation. We'll kind of get into the big three here. Are you on the train of having Kittle ranked above Ertz if you are kind of looking to get away from Ertz? Yeah, I do. I do have Kittle ahead of Ertz. I understand the argument for Ertz for sure. Like I, I can't fault anyone for drafting him where he's being drafted. It's just the way that I, I sort of have seen things. But yeah, with Kittle, he's definitely going to regress from a yards after catch standpoint, but he did underperform in the touchdown column last year. You know, he only had two red zone touchdowns on, on 19 red zone targets last year. So with, with Jimmy Garoppolo under center, you know, you could see George Kittle with, with a similar target share and maybe convert some of those red zone looks a little bit better and overall just score more. Look, he was only a second-year guy. You know, we're looking at Zach Ertz entering his seventh season. And of all Zach Ertz's years in the league, last year, if you were to pinpoint one season that was unlike the others, it was last season. That would be his outlier season. Uh, whereas George Kittle um, has a great ceiling. I, we know that he's uber-athletic. He looked unbelievable last season. Um, so I think that there's just a better ceiling inherently with George Kittle, which is why I would rank him ahead of Ertz. And Sean, I believe that uh, in the Action Network rankings, you also have Kittle ahead of Ertz. Uh, I might be wrong on that, but where are you coming down? Yeah, so I have them basically even, and I, I just make it as simple as a standard scoring format. I have Kittle ahead and any sort of PPR, I have Ertz slightly ahead. But, you know, I think both of them are sort of critical picks because – after them, I do have a pretty significant drop off about like 30 points or so to the next tier. So I just think that I think getting either one of them is crucial to my draft plan, just because I, I sort of look at the drop off value 
um, between certain picks. So they, they have one of the highest drop-off values in my model. And by taking them, you know, by taking Kelsey, you know, in the first or second round, you're kind of sacrificing getting a stud running back or receiver. So I do think Ertz and Kittle fit my plan of still getting a, a you know, stud wide receiver and running back and then still locking in a top three tight end. So I've been targeting uh, either one of these two quite a bit. All right, JJ, I, I want to ask you two questions. One, I'm assuming that Kelsey is kind of the, the clear number one, but how early would you take him in a draft? And then two, out of these top three guys, because as Sean mentioned, I think there is a pretty big teardrop between these three and OJ Howard or whoever you have coming in fourth. Uh, so the second question is, out of these three guys at their ADP, which one do you want the most? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. I, I, I think Kelsey is in his own tier. I, I, I have him valued more as like a one-two turn guy, just given the opportunity cost involved there whenever you draft him, as Sean just noted. And, you know, it's really, you know, if, if you look at a, a VBD equation, a value-based drafting equation, um, it, you can make the case that Kelsey can be, uh, draft him anywhere in the draft, re- realistically. <laughs> Um, and so, so, so I, I understand the Kelsey love for sure. It's just, it's, it's a matter of, of me feeling comfortable whenever I'm, you know, giving away and not, not getting one of those higher in demand positions when drafting him um, with Ertz and Kittle, you know, I, like I just said, I like Kittle more so we can just go with Kittle here and yeah. roll with Kittle. It really depends on where things break in the draft. If you're getting a, an Ertz or a Kittle in the early third, it's a lot easier. It's a, it's a lot easier pill to swallow than if you were to get them in the mid-second where that opportunity cost is higher. Because you're getting, once you get into that third round this season, there is a drop basically at, at both running back and wide receiver. You know, once the once basically Nick Chubb goes off the board, generally that's the, the RB12-ish. Once he goes off the board, once like an Antonio Brown goes off the board, who you know has that wide receiver one upside, that's when you can feel a little bit more comfortable drafting. Not not to say that, that <laughs> I, I, know, I, know, I know we have a, an AB hater on the show right now. But, uh, you know, just that's about the point where uh, I would feel more comfortable drafting those guys. So which one would I would I take? I think I would just go with a, a, a go big or go home strategy and just go with Kelsey. Um, but if those other guys drop into that early third, I'll, I'll, I'll be more comfortable uh, selecting them as opposed to the mid second. Yeah, so a couple of thoughts. I'm actually going to be on vacation during the wide receiver episodes, which is kind of uh, sad, but also a good thing because for someone who is down on Antonio Brown, I actually have him projected way higher than I thought I would this year. Yeah. But I think there is significant downside with him. But uh, Sean, I want to kick it to you for the, the question that I asked JJ. These three guys at their current cost based on ADP, which one are you looking to take? Basically the third guy, whoever it is, who falls to that third position in your draft. Yeah, pretty much. And we, we actually are in the middle of our Action Network mock draft. Um, and I had the eighth overall pick and I definitely considered taking Kelsey there. Um, but I pass up and took Hopkins. But I, I would take Kelsey as soon as the eighth overall pick. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. But I, I decided to pass on that. Um, and then I actually ended up getting Ertz coming back in round three. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm cool just taking whichever, you know, Kittle or Ertz falls to me in the third round. Because like I said, um, it, it allows me to use my first two picks on either uh, two stud wide receivers or mix in a stud running back. So I think, you know, Kelsey comes at a lot of cost and, you know, he's so valuable that if anything happens to him, I've, I'm not confident that I could just, you know, stream out uh, tight end the rest of the year. So he's, you know, you're putting all your eggs into the Kelsey basket. So I don't like doing that. I, I do like using my in-season management to, to win championships. So I don't like putting myself in that position. So uh, but definitely round three, getting either kill or Ertz, I think makes the most sense. 
All right, let's talk about a trio of guys who could potentially break out in their third year. And arguably some of these guys have already kind of broken out or have been right there. And at this point are kind of priced as if they are going to uh, continue to provide a lot of production. And I'm talking about OJ Howard, who's going around rounds four or five, Evan Ingram uh, rounds five and six, and David Njoku uh, rounds seven and eight. Uh, Three third-year guys, all of whom – could conceivably finish in the top three, top four at the position. Uh, JJ, you mentioned OJ Howard as someone uh, who definitely intrigued you. Um, do you have any thoughts on those three as a group? Which one really stands out the most to you? Yeah, OJ Howard, uh, I, I think, has a pretty nice ceiling this season. Um, not just because uh, there, there's not a lot of competition for targets there. It's really just Godwin and, and, and Mike Evans. Um, but if something were to happen to one of those guys, if an injury occurs, then, then you could see even more volume upside with OJ Howard. So I actually, my projections have Howard um, in his own tier, pretty much, uh, ahead of, of both Hunter Henry and Evan Ingram. Um, so I, I think that he's the clear guy uh, of that group. Um, I don't really have, you know, the, the concerns uh, around the Bruce Arians uh, tight end usage um, and what he did in Arizona. You know, if you look back, uh, he really his best tight end has arguably been Heath Miller throughout his, his coaching career, recent coaching career. It's not like Heath Miller was horrific when when Bruce Arians was there. But I just think there's a lot of uh, there, there's a lot of confirmation bias that happens whenever folks are looking at coordinator data. I mean, coordinator data is very important. Um, and, and you can utilize that. I utilize that more, though, at a higher level as opposed to the, the, the positional level. Um, you know, it's more so looking at ten, you know, pass-to-rush uh, ratio tendencies and, and what they do in neutral game scripts. You know, we know that Brian Schottenheimer, for instance, loves to run the football. That doesn't mean that whatever Brian Schottenheimer's offenses did with their wide receiver twos, I'm all of a sudden going to just focus on and look at the wide receiver two uh, on Seattle, in, in Seattle's offense. So, um, you know, with, with O.J. Howard, you can easily make the argument. The argument is it shouldn't even be an argument that OJ Howard's the best tight end talent that Bruce Arians has ever coached. Um, so I'm not really that worried about all of that. I think that he's in a really, really good spot to break out this year. Sean, in my uh, projections, which uh, you can find now in the optimized tool at Action Network, uh, in my projections, I, I do have OJ Howard basically in this tier unto himself. Uh, pretty clearly after George Kittle, but above everyone else, you know, like who might follow like Hunter Henry, Eric Ebron, Austin Hooper, whoever it is that you have after him. Uh, how are you kind of tearing OJ Howard? Yeah, I'm similar. I, I would definitely consider him to be part of uh, a mini tier. Um, and people are drafting that way. Usually, you know, Ertz and Kittle, you see some disagreements, but Howard's typically going fourth in the drafts. And then after that, you kind of see people mix it up. So Howard's definitely in the mini tier for me. Um, and I do like him. Uh, I'm, I've said I'm very bullish on the, the Bucks passing a game this year. Um, and Howard's my top um, tight end in yards per catch. I think he, he, uh, he averaged about close to 17 last year. And it seems like it's somewhat sustainable. Um, he had a very high A dot, 12.4 yards, and still had a lot of um, yards per catch uh, per reception at 6.2. So I actually only have him regressing down to 14 yards per catch. I think the loss of Deshaun Jackson, especially Adam Humphreys, opens the door for him um, to, you know, this is year three for him. So this is when Titans really start to break out. So I, I'm big on Howard, and I think he makes a lot of sense uh, as the, the fourth tight end off the board. If I, if I don't get him, I typically just wait until later in the draft. So he's almost like the end of the elite tight ends that I'm, I'm targeting in those drafts. 
JJ, out of the remaining two guys in this third-year trio, Evan Ingram, David Njoku, who do you have, I guess, the most affinity for? Because there are significant questions about both guys, and they're kind of weirdly tied to Odell Beckham Jr. Um, There's a question – how good the Giants offense is going to be uh, with the departure of Odell Beckham Jr. and then the addition of Golden Tate and then with Tate there and then Sterling Shepard. You basically have all of these guys fighting for targets in the middle of the field. How is that going to impact Evan Ingram? And then with Njoku and the addition of Odell Beckham Jr. in Cleveland, there are questions as to how many targets he's going to get. Uh, How are you looking at those two guys? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a really interesting question with Evan Ingram, especially uh, just because the Giants just just gobbled up as many slot receivers as they possibly could this offseason, seemingly. Um, and that's obviously the area of the field that Evan Ingram can dominate. But I wouldn't be surprised if they split him out a little bit uh, just because he's a he's a he's a freak uh, physically. So um, I, I think that that really with Evan Ingram, you're just buying volume. Um, my fear with Ingram and where he's being drafted. Like, for instance, I would take Hunter Henry over Evan Ingram just because I think the upside is there a little bit more um, if, if things were to come together. So, you know, with Evan Ingram, it's, it's, it's really a volume play. Um, and I think that there has to be some fear as well uh, with, with Daniel Jones sitting there and, and potentially playing and us not really knowing what that's going to look like. Um, I don't think that the, all, all these slot guys are, are going to necessarily impact him tremendously. I'm assuming my assumption with the Giants is more that Golden Tate will play in the slot mostly, and they're, they're going to move Sterling Shepard more on the outside. It's not an ideal situation, um, but that's just it makes sense. You know, whether they do that or not, we'll see. Um, but o- overall, you know, there, there's only so many mouths to feed in this offense in general that I think Evan Ingram can walk into – into some volume with David and Joku, you know, the one thing that, that I think is really important with, uh, with Cleveland and, and with a team, any team that adds an elite pass catcher like Cleveland did, Odo Beckham is going to demand a massively high target share, no matter where he's at. And I think that that's, you know, if you're building out projections or if you're looking at things from that perspective, there's not going to be give and take with Odell Beckham's target share. Odell Beckham's target share is going to be high. So if you really just think of this as a, as a pie, if you add in a 28% target share, let's say, or whatever, whatever you, you project for Odell Beckham, that's going to impact the volume of every other player in that offense. Sure, they might become more efficient, but I care far more about volume than efficiency in fantasy football. With David Njoku, I think the fear is there for the red zone looks might not be as strong for him just because you have another player there. Um, I think the fear is there that his volume might not be as strong with OBJ there. I just think overall it's going to be a, a, a he's going to be a fairly unpredictable asset, and he's someone that I would rather target in a best ball league uh, as opposed to a regular redraft league. Sean, what are your thoughts on Ingram and Njoku? Yeah, so I'm pretty much in line uh, with JJ on uh, Ingram. I've been calling, you know, Daniel Jones will likely be starting towards the end of the year. That's the fantasy playoffs. So that is a concern for me. Right now I have Eli Manning projected for about 255 yards a game. um, And Daniel Jones uh, tentatively around 215 to 220. So, you know, when you shrink the passing pie, it's going to affect everybody. So those those 35 to 40 yards potentially that they'll be losing, Ingram will take a hit because he relies so much on yardage and volume. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so with that in mind, you know, I, I play fantasy football to win. So I do factor in certain things like that for the fantasy football playoffs. So um, I'm hesitant to take him this early uh, right now. And then Joku, same thing, you know, uh, Odell Beckham will command a huge target share, but Baker Mayfield has shown that he, he can spread it around. So, you know, some of these peripheral targets like Njoku and Callaway could see some spike weeks, but I think in general they're going to be inconsistent. So 
like JJ said, Njoku's more of a best ball guy for me. He's going to have some big games, but it's going to come with some duds. And, you know, I, I don't really want to spend too much draft capital on a tight end I can't really rely on week to week uh, in that regard. So uh, th- there, there's better tight ends in this range that I'm targeting. All right, let's talk about some of these second-year guys, uh, potential flyers. And, J.J., you mentioned one of them earlier in Mike Gesicki. I was really impressed, actually, with last year's draft class at the position. Chris Herndon, I wouldn't say he seemingly came out of nowhere, but he wasn't a guy that a lot of people were high on entering the season. There was a little bit of hype on him, but not much. Um, But I thought he was pretty impressive. Of course, there are questions about him because of the suspension, the impact of head coach Adam Gase on that Jets offense. Uh, Dallas Goddard is really intriguing, but uh, who knows if there are going to be enough targets to go around. I would be interested in hearing um, if you think at some point Zach Ertz is injured. How high does Dallas Goddard go up your rankings? I mean, top five at some point, but let's just kind of start there with uh, with Goddard. Uh, Any thoughts on, on him and what happens if Ertz is injured? Yeah, the way that I kind of view Dallas Goddard is he's he's basically a best ball target only and less of a redraft target. And, and the main reason for that, he, he's one of those players that you're going to draft. And after you know when the, the hot waiver wire period hits in the weeks one and weeks two, he's going to be the first guy that you end up dropping because he's not going to – unless he's you know has crazy blow-up games to start the season, that can obviously happen. Um, but I just – I can't get behind him in, in a regular redraft all that much. I think that – the upside is certainly there, though, if, if Ertz were to, to, to get banged up because it's a lot, of, uh, a lot of looks leaving the offense, and obviously Goddard becomes uh, the, the number one tight end for sure uh, in that offense. And, and to be clear, too, I don't think that Goddard uh, necessarily hurts Ertz as much as Goddard would hurt Nelson Aguilar. Uh, you know, with, with Aguilar playing in the slot, those two tight end sets, you're going to see uh, him off the field more than, than what you would see uh, him, uh, Goddard, uh, dinging Ertz, but yeah, I mean, I think that he has the upside for sure with an injury, but I think the only way that we see that upside is really with that injury. Sean, uh, if Ertz is injured, where do you put Goddard in your rankings? Yeah. I mean, he would be pushing top five stats for me. We, we talked about this. I, I kind of went through some scenarios of certain players, if they got hurt and where they move up. And I did this scenario for the Eagles. If, if Ertz is out, he'd push top five. So he's one of my favorite, um, you know, high upside flyer, uh, stashes at tight end it would have to be a deep league where you can actually you know carry an extra tight end I wouldn't recommend it in most leagues but you know even if Ertz is you know fully healthy for 16 games he'll have some productive weeks I mean this is tight end we're talking about so outside of the top 12 you're going to have some inconsistent guys that are pretty much touchdown dependent which he will be but they're going to run a f- uh, two tight end sets where you know if he's playing 50 snaps a game he could you know, be an emergency bi-week fill-in or whatever. Just with him, it's it's just tough carrying just a tight end in the hopes that Ertz misses time. But um, like I said, if you're in a league that's deep enough and the bench can hold, uh, you know, an extra tight end, he'd be the guy I would, I would stash. All right, JJ, I want your thoughts on two guys uh, on the same team. We have Mark Andrews with Baltimore and Hayden Hurst. Hurst uh, famously was drafted in the first round last year, uh, despite being, I believe, uh, 34. I might be exaggerating, but uh, he was definitely at least 24. Um, And then two rounds later, Mark Andrews was drafted, uh, and he had a fantastic rookie season. uh, And this is coming on the tail of a very strong college career at Oklahoma. Um, I have Andrews in my top 10. I know that's very aggressive. Sean, I believe you have him uh, like 
ranked number 15. So there's a big discrepancy between us, but I think Andrews has the potential to be the number one pass catcher for the Baltimore Ravens this year. Uh, JJ, where are you coming down on this? And then also uh, with Hayden Hurst, do you think there's any potential that we could see this first rounder start to develop in his second season? Yeah, so I'm definitely not very bullish on Hurst um, uh, for, for the reasons that you sort of sort of mentioned there. I mean, I, I, I think Andrews is a great prospect and, and what he did last season. I mean, he had one of the most efficient rookie tight end seasons that we've ever seen. Uh, he was really incredible. Um, I, the, the, the fear with me with anything Baltimore related is that they're really, really hard to project. They're, they're an incredibly hard team to project um, because you assume that there's going to be some natural positive regression in their pass to rush attempt ratio. Um, because teams just aren't that run heavy as they were with, with Lamar Jackson under center last season. So you assume that they're going to throw the ball a little bit more, but then you ask yourself, well, what if they don't? Like, what, what if, and what if Lamar Jackson doesn't progress um, as a quarterback and as a passer? So that's the downside with Mark Andrews is that even if he is the number one target from a target share standpoint in Baltimore, that might not even matter. But I think that where you're drafting him, the upside that he brings as a talent, um, and the fact that if Baltimore does end up throwing the ball a little bit more, which I think is actually more probable than not, um, then all of a sudden Mark Andrews could, could see a decent enough amount of volume. And if he can continue that efficiency in some, to some degree, um, he can easily finish as a lower end tight end one. So I don't mind him at all as a dart throw guy um, because you're not, you, know, you're not, you don't have to spend crazy, crazy equity to get him. So, you know, you have him at 10 and Sean has him at 15. I'm sort of in the middle. I think I have him at like 12 or 13. Yeah, I mean, in all fairness, I have him at number eight. I think I said top oh, 10. I said top 10 because I was trying to make it sound not as bad <laughs> as it is. I'm super aggressive. But the thing is, for me, the thought is I don't have to draft him at eight to get the upside that he has. I would be drafting him very late. But, uh, Sean, talk right. about what you are seeing in his projection and why I am way off. <laughs> I don't think you're – well, okay, I do think you're way off. But I, I like how you're like, yeah, I'm all the way down at tight end 15. Um, luckily, I don't have to draft against 11 other Friedman clones. Uh, his, his ADP is all the way at 22. So I actually do like Andrews as a late-round flyer. You know, he's the guy that uh, that's returning that Lamar Jackson had the most chemistry with last year. They drafted uh, Marquise Brown and Miles Boykin to potentially replace uh, Crabtree and John Brown. So they will start off this year having the most chemistry. So I think he's a good late round flyer to just kind of buy in with, you know, Lamar Jackson. Obviously, I think he's going to regress uh, in the positive direction, you know, throw more. So he's just, he's just a sneaky flyer where you'll know early in the season if it's going to cash out. And if not, you know, he's ultimately starting um, your, your process of streaming tight ends for the season. So I think he kind of reminds me of like a poor man's George Kittle. I don't think he has top five upside, but he's at least a flyer that you can um, take in the later rounds and just see if it hits early in the season. And you'll know pretty soon if it's going to pound out or not. So um, I, I do like his upside, uh, basically getting him free at the end of the drafts. Right now he's 185th overall. So you can pretty much take him in the last rounds if you completely punt on tight end. All right, let's talk about the dad runners. This is, I think, the portion of the show that everyone is just anxious to hear. Uh, JJ, I mean, there's just a slew of old guys who probably won't be in the league in a couple of years, if we're being honest. Delaney Walker, Jimmy Graham, Greg Olson, Jordan Reed, Jack Doyle, Tyler Eifert, which, by the way, like, what is the over-under on the number of games he even plays this year? Sean, that is an actual question I want you to um, And then Jason Witten. Uh, 
returning to the league for one last run to reclaim his dad running crown. JJ, if you had to take one of these guys in a draft, which one do you think it would be? If I'm taking one of those guys, it would probably be between Jordan Reed and Tyler Eifert, just because we know that the uh, the upside certainly there. Um, Greg Olson, I'm I'm afraid, you know, just I think it's more of like a process of elimination thing. Like Delaney Walker, I understand why folks are are kind of into him at his ADP, um, but I'm I'm a little bit wary of that entire passing attack there and in the way that the targets are going to be distributed. Um, especially, you know, they add Adam Humphrey. So you're going to have another target in the middle of the field. They draft AJ Brown, who I thought was one of the, if not the best wide receiver in this year's class. Um, and then obviously Corey Davis is there too. And then it's a run heavy team. I just, it's really hard when you build it out, uh, to see Delaney Walker seeing a ton of volume, uh, Jimmy Graham, I already talked about him. There's going to be some positive regression in the touchdown column, uh, more than likely. Um, but he still didn't do much last season, despite having such a high target share. Greg Olson, I think we're worried about the injury. And we're also worried, I mean, that whole offense in Carolina, uh, you have a lot better weapons now with CMC. Curtis Samuel's looking good. And obviously DJ Moore, who I think is a, a freaking monster. Jack Doyle is apparently 25 pounds lighter than what he was last season, which is, which is frightening. Um, so it really just comes down to sort of, and obviously Jason Witten is, is no longer in a broadcasting booth. So it's scary to see that transition. Um, but so it really comes down to Jordan Reed, who's going to be there without a lot of, of, of competition. Now I understand last season, he wasn't very relevant and finally he stayed fairly healthy, but he still wasn't very relevant. Um, but you're kind of banking or, or, or throwing a dart and saying maybe Haskins is, is really good and maybe things just click with them. Um, and then with Tyler Eifert, we know that he can, he scored touchdowns and during the first, uh, Bush administration. So, um, at least, at least we know that, that Tyler Eifert had upside at one point. So maybe, maybe lightning will strike again. Um, but, but I, I think that's really the, the logic that you have to use with some of these, uh, geriatric tight ends that are going later. Yeah. I mean, I would say those are the two that I actually would, uh, would target. Uh, Jordan Reed is intriguing. Uh, and Tyler Eifert, I mean, is he cursed? Uh, he's returning from a broken right ankle. He's never played a full season. Um, but when he has been on the field uh, and that Cincinnati offense has actually kind of been its full self with A.J. Green there, um, yeah, Tyler Eifert has been able to score touchdowns. Sean, is he going to be able to stay on the field? I think that's the the big question. And I know it sounds a little morbid to say what is the over-under on the number of games he plays this year. But if you're creating projections, you actually do have to take that into account. And that's a really hard thing to predict because, as we know, there often is very little correlation between past injuries and future injuries. But some guys, I mean, there there it seems as if there is some correlation there. Uh, what are you thinking we're going to see out of Eifert? My projection for him, I would set the line at 11 and a half, but I would, you know, if I posted a sports book, I would not take any action on the under. It would just be a gimmicky prop where you could just bet over 11 and a half for like even money. Like I wouldn't <laughs> allow no bets. So my, my over under him is 11 and a half. I don't feel great about it. it. It's just one of those projections. He has such a wide range of outcomes that you just kind of have, have to roughly set it. But yeah, I, I'm just assuming he'll he'll get hurt at some point. Unfortunately, he's just probably too old to overcome these, um, and he's had so many that it's it's hard to really say. Oh, he's going to have positive regression in the injury luck department. I think he's proven that he's a he's an injury risk waiting to happen. So I'm avoiding him. I, I'm with JJ about the Jordan Reed. I'm avoiding this whole tier like the plague. But if if I were to pick one guy, it would definitely be Reed. Um, I mean, he's not even that old. He's only turning 29 this year. 
Um, and, you know, he was healthy until week 14 last year. And he was actually the tight end 12 before he went down. So I think especially with the, the Redskins wide receiver depth chart still looking pretty mediocre, he could be their top target again. And um, he's a guy where you just you just take him as a flyer. And as soon as he gets hurt or misses time, you drop him and you start streaming. Uh, he's not a guy that you would want to keep on your bench until he returns. So I think he's just a late round flyer pick. Uh, use him until he gets hurt and then just, you know, cut bait and start streaming the position. 11 and a half is exactly the number of games I'm projecting him for, which uh, is no surprise. Obviously, everyone knows that you steal your projections from me. <laughs> JJ, if you had to bet on that number of 11 and a half, I'm imagining you would smash the under, right? I'd smash the under. Yeah, yeah. I'd crush well, the under. Good thing it's not available. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I want your thoughts on some of these rookies. And so tight ends are notorious for really not doing much in their first seasons, but we did see a couple of guys last year and Mark Andrews and Chris Herndon pop a little bit at the position. And we had uh, two guys go in the first round and then Irv Smith Jr. as a, a third guy drafted pretty, uh, pretty highly in the second round. Uh, so I'd like to get your thoughts on TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant and Irv Smith Jr. Uh, Hawkinson has some, you know, long-term Gronk potential, uh, Fant is an athletic marvel uh, who now is partnered with a tight end and Joe, uh, a quarterback in Joe Flacco who has historically targeted his tight ends. And then uh, Smith Jr. as a 21-year-old rookie uh, has some long-term potential but currently looks to be blocked behind Kyle Rudolph. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't have much uh, interest in Irv Smith uh, just because of the Rudolph thing. I think if Rudolph was gone, we would definitely have some interest in him just to see what would happen. But um, with Rudolph there, uh, I'm fading him. Uh, Hawkinson's, I agree. I, I think that he has an unbelievable ceiling longer term. Um, my fear here in year one is that it is a run first offense. We know that he can block well between him and Noah Fant. He's, he's the more, the better suited all around tight end. Um, so I, I think that, that we're going to see this run more of a run first offense or as run first as they can get because Detroit could see some negative game scripts. Um, but with Daryl Bevel there, they're, they're likely to run a little bit more. Um, they already have a stud at wide receiver who I think is a stud, my boy, Babytron. Um, so, I, you know, Kenny Galladay's there. Um, there's just, there's, there's not a lot of, of, of great opportunity, I think with, with Hawkinson in year one. Um, but Noah Fant is, is actually kind of intriguing. Um, because if you look across their, their, uh, their, their pass catchers, uh, there's inexperience. You have Deshaun Hamilton and Cortland Sutton. We don't know how that's going to play out exactly. Manuel Sanders coming off that Achilles injury, he might not even start the season um, uh, fully healthy. Um, so there's that, that opportunity where Fant sort of has that, that Evan Ingram-type impact during his rookie season where it's pretty volume-driven, and it was volume-driven without a stud in that lineup. And that's what we could hypothetically see uh, with Noah Fant in Denver. So if there's one of these guys that I'm targeting in a draft or want to throw a dart at uh, in a draft, it would probably be Noah Fant of those three. Sean, what are your thoughts on those rookie tight ends? Yeah, I'm almost in the same spot. For, for Hawkinson, I'm sort of in wait-and-see mode, probably not drafting him in redraft this year, um, especially when we saw Ebron leave uh, the Lions and just tear it up for the Colts. Um, I, I just don't know if it's a great system for tight end. But Fant, uh, I think he's the, he's the rookie I would target. Um, you know, Flacco is going to have to build chemistry with all these receivers and tight ends. And, you know, Deshaun Hamilton, Cortland Sutton are entering year two. So they're still pretty inexperienced, too. So there's no there's no pecking order where, you know, Fant just place at the end because he's a rookie. I think he can build chemistry with Flacco from day one. We've seen Flacco lean on his tight ends heavily. So he's actually in a situation where 
he could be thrown in the mix uh, his rookie season. So I think he's he's the only rookie I would actually take a flyer in and you know a deep league. We mentioned that Hawkinson has some Gronk type of potential long term, and obviously this is the first season in a long time in which Gronkowski hasn't been someone in the tight end landscape. Although there are rumors, whispers, conjectures that he might return at some point in the middle of the season. And I, I really haven't been tempted at any point in a draft to take him as like a speculative ad. But, uh, I mean, JJ, do you think at any point we see Gronk return? I don't know if we see him or not, but even if we do see him, I, I think that the, the, the risk reward here just isn't there to, to draft Gronk. Like, like even if we were to assume that he get, comes back, let's say like week nine or something, or he comes back mid season. Um, it, it's not like Gronk was spectacular last season yeah. from a, from a production standpoint. I think that's, what's being lost with a lot of the Gronk talk. Uh, New England last year, I think was 24th as a team in, in tight end scoring and fantasy points. Um, so, you know, because of that, I, I just, I can't get it. You know, if we were getting 2015 Gronk, then, then sure. It'd be completely different. But the fact that we saw him not produce last season, he looked like a shell of himself. Um, I, I just, I can't, I can't really get behind it. Yeah. Sean, you feel similarly. Yeah, I, I would I would go back to Dallas Goddard if you're going to waste a, a you know a roster slot bench slot for anybody to be Goddard because at least he's you know at least he's giving you some production unless you know crushing uh, thirty packs by light is a fancy stat um, Gronk's going to give you nothing unless he returns so I'd rather have Goddard um, who who would actually have top five upside if Ertz misses time so yeah it's it's not even a given Gronk would return back to that top five player we're, we're used to seeing. All right, JJ, we hit on a lot of players. Uh, we didn't hit on Vance McDonald, who plays for your beloved Steelers. Uh, we didn't hit on Eric Ebron. So there are some guys we didn't touch on. Uh, out of those guys, uh, anyone you want to highlight? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think of those that tier sort of. So it's Vance and Jared Cook and, uh, and Eric Ebron, I guess you can maybe throw in that tier. Um, I, I'm, I'm into, into Vance if you, were to, if you were to pick one of them. Um, you know, my fear with Jared Cook, I feel like it's not necessarily being talked about a ton, but Drew Brees had an unreal efficient season last year that's, that's actually going to probably regress a little bit this year. Uh, his touchdown rate was higher than his career average. Um, and, and really, if you look at last season, towards the end of the year, he started to regress a little bit. So I think that there's some fear. We know that they've, they've gone to more of this run-heavy offense with the defense just being better. Um, so I think that there's some fear for, for volume and just general efficiency with Jared Cook. I, I don't mind Jared Cook, but I would prefer Vance McDonald in an offense that had uh, the second highest pass to rush attempt ratio that we've seen over, uh, over the last eight years uh, in the NFL. I think they'll be more run heavy this year. The Steelers will, but there's no clear number two target in that offense. Um, so I, I think there's just opportunity naturally for Vance McDonald to, to potentially break out. So I don't really mind him at his ADP all that much. And I think that he would be the guy that I'd be targeting out of that tier. What a surprise. The Steelers homer likes the Steelers tight end. No, uh, I'm obviously joking. And I definitely, uh, I'm with you there on all of the reasons for why Vance McDonald could be the guy who breaks out this year. Uh, Sean, out of the tight ends we haven't touched on yet, is there anyone who stands out to you? Yeah, Vance McDonald is a big one. I've, I've considered him, you know, the most likely Ebron Kittle type of breakout uh, later in the drafts um, for all the same reasons, you know, the, the AB uh, leading is going to open up some targets, but even Jesse James. So I think there's a lot of potential there. But the guy that no one ever talks about, but I, I do like getting sort of the end, he's the end of my tight end one 
uh, group where, you know, if he's gone, then I just punt the position. Uh, but it's Austin Hooper. He, he's not a sexy pick. He, do, he doesn't appear to have too much upside, you know, being the third or fourth option behind you know, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Mohamed Sanu. But he, he still plays on one of the top passing offenses. And all three receivers played all 16 games last year. So I think any time a guy like Julio, Ridley, or Sanu missed time, you're going to see his, his value go up. So I think there's just some hidden upside with Hooper um, entering year four. And he's, he's um, improved every single season. So I think getting him, he, he's being drafted, you know, 30 to 40 picks later than this uh, McDonald, Cook, and Joku tier. And I have him basically lumped in there. So I think he's a great value. Uh, and he kind of acts as a safety net. If I can't get any of these guys, if they get scooped up, I've been able to get Hooper much later. I knew you were going to say Hooper. And how I knew was, was because I was thinking, who is the most vanilla-seeming player I can think <laughs> of who I'm actually higher on than I expected to be after creating yeah. my projections? Yeah. And that was, that was Hooper. JJ, it has been a lot of fun having you on the show. I believe uh, you are doing it's like a little mini series within the late round podcast where you are talking about tight ends for the next few episodes. Anything there you want to tease or uh, anything else to talk about that's uh, happening at FanDuel or Number Fire? Yeah, I mean, this really aligned perfectly with that. I just published a, a tight end streaming episode uh, of the Late Round Podcast. Really quick. It's like a 10-minute show. Um, and then next week, I'll have uh, the legend, Rich Rebar, on the show to sort of talk about, you know, to Kelsey or not to Kelsey this year and, and sort of walk through uh, the opportunity cost equation and whatnot. So that's all on the Late Round Podcast. And then everything else is just going on over on numberfire.com. Fantastic. Uh, looking forward to that episode with Rich Rebar, who, as you mentioned, is a legend. Uh, be sure to follow JJ on Twitter at Late Round QB. You can follow Sean and me in the Action Network app at the underscore oddsmaker and Matt at the Oracle. Use the app to get real-time odds and track your bets for free. On our next NFL episode, we will break down the top 12 fantasy wide receivers. Till then, that is going to do it for the Action Network podcast. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. See you again next episode. 